Please rise as you are able for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 24. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, we welcome you to this Lenten journey that many of us began on Ash Wednesday as we begin this new series together called Cross Training. Uh, As we begin today, I know you'll join with me in thanking our friends from Oglethorpe University for being with us today. It's a great joy. I tell you, it's just good to have some Georgians in the house today from Atlanta. Some of you who know Atlanta as I do, I spent 31 years there before coming back to Nashville, the it city of the Southeast now. We came back in 2013. They're in the Brookhaven area of Atlanta, if you know Atlanta, and they're directed by Dr. Timothy Powell, who was stolen by Oglethorpe University from Martin College from us. And we're still grieving that, Uh, I believe was a Grammy nominee while at Martin, maybe a winner, nominee, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I figured you would know that, yes. Uh, And Tim, it's so good to have you with us. Good to have you home and all of you, uh, we welcome you. And I told them downstairs while we prayed, uh, it's really great for Oglethorpe to be able to sing also a little later with the finest uh, youth choir in America. That's a nice thing too. You can tell your professors when you get back, we're so glad you're here to join us, uh, and glad you got your clocks fixed today. Some of you know the name Arthur Blessett. Mr. Blessett is a traveling preacher. That's a wonderful name for a preacher, Blessett, who over the last 50 years has literally carried the cross all over the world. He was born in Greenville, Mississippi, the son of a cotton farmer. He professed his faith in Christ at the age of seven in a church revival, and in the late 1960s, he started ministering to youth in Hollywood, California. In fact, he became known as the minister of Sunset Strip. On Christmas Day, 1969, that's 50 years ago, he made a cross 12 feet high, 6 feet wide, weighing about 45 pounds, and he picked up that cross and he started walking. He carried the cross from L.A. to D.C., sharing his witness every chance that he got. And when he got to Washington, he felt called to go global with his witness. And you can find him today in the Guinness Book of World Records for having taken the world's longest walk, 42,788 miles. That's 85.5 million steps for you Fitbit folk. That's a lot of walking and a lot of talking. 324 countries on the face of the planet, 52 of which, while he was walking, were right in the middle of war. I don't know about you, but when I think about Reverend Blessed, I I think that's really a, a kind of a peculiar thing to do, don't you? 
to carry a cross. In fact, in the first century, the only people who carried crosses were convicted felons. Crucifixion was a common means of punishment, execution, invented, we know, by the Persians and practiced by the Romans. The purpose of crucifixion was not only to humiliate the outlaw or the rebel, but also to dissuade other potential rebels from insurrection. Now, it was customary in the first century to carry one's own cross to the gallows, or at least to carry the crossbeam, or what's called the patibulum. It was no small feat. It weighed as much as 125 pounds, historians say. The soldier would hoist the plank on the shoulders, bind the arms about it, and parade you through the city streets and then outside the walls to the place of execution. All three synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, report that Jesus did not carry his cross alone. When you think about it, it's no wonder after what he'd been through. If you read the rest of the passion scene, and we will in these coming weeks, after the beating that he endured, after the flogging, after the deposition and the trial and the mocking and all of that, By the time of his sentencing, he was in such a debilitated state that he couldn't carry the weight by himself. Some of us were there two weeks ago in the old city of Jerusalem on what's called the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the way of pain. We walked those streets. There are 14 stations of the cross, they call them. It was the fifth station we stopped in where it is said that Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross. There's still a section of that old wall there where you can make out a handprint that tradition says it was there that Jesus steadied himself and we touched that place. In chapter 15, verse 21 of what Lee just read for us, Mark says that there was an innocent bystander in the crowd who was commandeered. In other words, he was, he was compelled. He didn't want to. He was forced. He was seized to help with the cross. In those days, Roman soldiers could do this kind of thing with the backup of the government. In fact, if you had been in the crowd in the first century and you felt the tap of a Roman spear on your back, you didn't ask any questions. If the guard said, carry my pack, you carried his pack. If the soldier said, pick up that cross, you picked it up or else. What's interesting to me is that Mark actually remembers this man's name. It's kind of intriguing to me if you know Mark because Mark is not really known for his attention to detail. In fact, unlike the other gospel writers, he writes it as though he's in a hurry, and he was. There's a sense of urgency in this first gospel. He uses the word immediately 40 times. He's in a hurry to get the word out. And so it's interesting that he actually remembers this name because what was the soldier's name that tapped him with a spear? We don't know. What about the thieves who died on either side of Jesus? Who knows? What about the Roman centurion who later on Friday afternoon confessed his faith? We don't know. But this guy 
seized to serve is remembered by name and origin. The pronunciation in the Hebrew is Shimon, Simon of Sarini. His name literally means he has heard. Now, if you know anything about ancient geography, you know that Sarini was located in northern Africa. It is today what's called Libya, there on the coast. It's the capital city of Cyrenaica in that day. It was a Roman colony that was actually home to a large group of displaced Jews, maybe as many, they say, as 100,000 who lived there. And Simon had made this long trip. He's an African Jew. He made the long trip, 873 miles, in fact, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. In fact, it's interesting to me that Acts chapter 6 actually says there was a Cyrenian synagogue in Jerusalem where visitors and refugees, immigrants from northern Africa often gathered to worship. Mark adds this line, Simon was coming in from the country. What does that mean? It likely means that he was not wealthy. Many who came for the feast at Passover or tabernacles, they couldn't afford to stay in the city, so they would often find lodging, as did Jesus, outside the city at night at the Mount of Olives or maybe in Bethany. And so he was not a man of means. And now as he enters into the holy city, he finds himself caught in this congested mob scene. He's looking for a way out. He's looking for a bypass when suddenly he feels the tap of the spear. And Mark says, and they compelled him to carry the cross. Boy, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> now, if it's me, I can imagine that he's trying to get out of it, right? He probably said, I'm late for church. I'm trying to get to the synagogue. I've got my boys with me. I'd love to carry it, but I've been sick. Oh, look at the time. But there's no escape from a Roman soldier. For Mark and his readers, this is actually a picture of discipleship. In fact, if you listen closely between the margins, you can almost hear the echo of the condemned rabbi's teaching. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And here this accidental tourist is pressed into service, seized to carry the cross of a condemned man, and not just any man, the Son of Man, though Simon initially was clueless, and it's always been ironic to me, isn't it to you? that Simon came for the Passover and ran smack dab into the Passover lamb. When they got to Golgotha, Simon laid down the beam and apparently was free to go. And Mark doesn't say this. This is the Revised Chapel version. But I think maybe he didn't leave. I think maybe he lingered at the cross. Have you ever noticed that when you carry somebody else's burden, that not only is it helpful to them, but it has an impact on you? When you walk in somebody else's shoes, 
Have you ever noticed that that does something to you too? Reverend Laura Brantley and I had a chance last Sunday night to be with our youth and their small group leaders. Some of our youth are here today. We're going to commission them in a few moments. They're going to spend their spring break on a Bahamas mission trip. And Laura and I had the privilege of meeting with their leaders and meeting with the youth. And I get, it's an incredible group. And I got to tell you, Lee, that whenever, whenever I get a little cynical about the world, I just look at our children and youth. Adam Jones is our youth director. He preached a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know this, but I heard that he did a liturgical dance in his sermon. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if that's true. If it's true, I missed it. And so I talked to some of my friends this week here, and we've taken up a little collection, and we have $500 tonight that will go directly to our summer youth choir tour if Adam will do an interpretive dance tonight. You, you ready? <laughs> I'm serious. So last Sunday night in youth worship, Adam gives this little object lesson, and it was brilliant. We, he had all the teenagers take off their right shoes and, and put them in a pile in the floor, and then each one of us were given the instructions to come up and take one of those shoes that was not our own, that we didn't know who it belonged to, and then we were to find the matching shoe on the feet of one of our youth. We would listen when we found them. We would listen to their story, their hopes, their dreams, their joys and concerns. And then he told us we were to pray over them. I got Phoebe's shoe. She told me of her love for neuroscience. She's a junior in high school. She wants to go to college. She wants to be a neurosurgeon someday. And if her parents are here, that's going to cost you a little bit. <laughs> she told me about her life, about her family and her faith. And then I prayed over her. Now, I, I don't know if it meant anything to Phoebe, but I'll tell you, it meant something to me. And everything I learned about her was because of her shoe. It's an interesting thing now and then when you walk in somebody else's shoes. But let me give you a word of warning. It might just break your heart. It will for sure deepen your soul. And it will widen your understanding, your EQ, your empathy, and your compassion. When we were in Galilee two weeks ago, we went to a place called Magdala. Have you ever heard of it? Of course you have. It is the home of Mary Magdalene. It's there between Tiberias and Capernaum on the Galilean lake, and there's a church there. It's a new church that's been built. The pulpit is a boat. I love that pulpit. In the basement of the church, we went downstairs. There's a beautiful mural painted on a wall depicting the hand of that woman with the hemorrhage, you remember, for 12 years, who had said to herself, self, if I can get close enough to his shoes to touch the hem of his garment, I believe he can help me. And he did. In fact, the story says that when she touched the talif, the hem of his garment, Jesus felt the power 
go out of him. You know that feeling? It happens, doesn't it? When you take somebody else's burden on yourself, when you put somebody else's sandals on your feet, when you touch them and they touch you, it's costly. And you can feel the power go out. It's risky to pick up somebody else's cross. And Simon did. I have a friend who died a couple of months ago. He lived in Georgia. I met him in our recovery ministry when I was pastor in Lawrenceville on the east side. Several years ago, his only son was murdered. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was 21 years of age. He was a student at Georgia State. It was a drug deal gone bad. The trigger man was apprehended, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison. And as you can believe, my friend's grief was unimaginable. I remember the day he called to tell me that the mother of the shooter had called him out of the blue. I don't know how she found my number, he said. What did she say, I asked. She said, I need to tell you how terribly sorry I am. I need you to know that I cannot fathom your pain. And I need you to know that I too am suffering for what my son has done. She needed a touch. I don't know how he did it, but somehow by the grace of God, he found it within himself to forgive. And I asked him, Greg, how did you do it? And I'll never forget what he said. Pastor, I'm at the point in my life where I've seen so many sides to suffering that I can no longer take sides. And I realized that my friend was not only carrying his cross, he was, burying, he was bearing that mother's cross too. Voluntarily. <laughs> willingly. Simon carried the cross at first involuntarily. But when his forced service was complete, I don't think he left. I think he stayed at the cross. If he did, he watched the man on the center tree. He heard him pronounce forgiveness on the very ones who strung him up. He heard him reassure a dying thief who just wanted not to be forgotten. And he heard the prayer of surrender to the Father. And it did something to him. In fact, I think you can make a case for the fact that the way Jesus died changed Simon's life. And it changes our lives, too. One other thing. Did you notice that Mark also remembers the names of Simon's children? Rufus and Alexander. Well, why is that important? Thanks for asking. In the city of Rome, to whom Mark is actually writing his narrative, would you believe there's a leader in the church there whose name is Rufus? And would you believe that Paul calls out his name at the end of his letter to the Romans in chapter 16? 
I believe it's the same Rufus in Mark 15. What happened to Simon at the cross changed his boys too. Furthermore, Acts chapter 11 says that years later, after the events of Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and Pentecost, years later, get this, there was a group of Cyrenians, according to Acts 11, who came to Antioch to preach the gospel. And one of the witnesses was named Simon, also called Nigel, which means dark-skinned. It's him. (laughs) It's an African Jew. The very one who was forced to bear the cross is now willingly carrying the cross all over the world. No longer an accidental tourist. He's a deliberate disciple. Now, it turns out that this guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time was actually in the right place at the right time. And so are you. And so am I. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. So the next time you feel the unexpected tap of a need on your shoulder, don't pick it up because you have to. Pick it up because you must. (laughs) You just must. In Jesus' name.